Turn, if you would, tonight to Romans chapter 8. We'll pick up in verse 23. As we last left off before we left for Israel with a creation that's groaning. God created this entire universe uh, from nothing. That universe was his perfect creation because everything he created, he created, and it was very good. Amen? So the whole creation, all of it, is God's design. But God's creation through sin, one man's sin... Death enters into the world, and because of that, now the world is under the curse of both sin and its consequence, which is death. And so the creation is groaning, and now we pick up the other side of the equation. Because although the creation is groaning, uh, we who are still in mortal bodies, clothed in flesh are also still groaning to get out of here. Amen? We, we live in mortal bodies that are still capable of sinning. And so now we pick up two more groans. The groan of the human being who's redeemed, the groaning saint, and also the Spirit of God also groans right along with us. And so if you join me in prayer as we take our time to the Lord uh, together, Father, thank you for your incredible blessings, Lord, that you have blessed us so richly with a place to be, a place to meet, a place to come and study your word, and Father, we're so grateful for that. We pray now that as we take out our Bibles and open them up, Lord, that you would speak, that these words would be open to us as we open our Bibles, that our minds would be in tune to what the Spirit would say to us. We'd be directed, Lord, by your Spirit to receive your truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we now have this continuation of the thought process of a creation that groans. In verse 23, here in Romans 8, it goes uh, this way. And not only that, and so you can see the connection to the last thought. As I shared with you, these things are linked together through a vehicle of speech known as the polysyndeton. They're put together with ands, conjunctions, in other words, joining thought after thought after thought. So you have the groaning creation. And not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. And so we as the children of God, and I don't know if you ever do this, but there are times in our lives, I think most of us, if we really think about it, uh, we kind of shake our heads and it's like, oh, Lord, not again, my flesh. <laughs> Amen? Anybody else do that? You know, sometimes when I see that, you know, that 48-ounce piece of prime rib, I'm like, oh, no, not again, my flesh. You, you have those things to where you're still wrapped in flesh. You're cloaked in a mortal body. Inside of that body dwells a spirit that's been redeemed by God. And inside of you dwells the Holy Spirit, which is also going to now be seen as kind of agonizing along with us. But we, we kind of groan. We also groan when we realize our mortality. When, when you go for that annual checkup, that when you're 23 years old, is you're, you're good, get out of here. Uh, when you're 63 years old, it's like, I hope you make it to the next one. 
Our bodies are groaning. Our, our, our earthly tents, as Paul calls them, uh, are beginning to worn out. And we are eagerly waiting for the adoption. We, we are one day going to be brought right into God's actual house. For in my Father's house are many mansions, Jesus said. And if I go, I go therefore, he said, to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you might be also. Amen? So we're kind of waiting for the fullness of that glorification that one day is going to actually take us into the presence of God. But in the meantime, we're kind of like, not this again. We're groaning a bit. We're waiting for the fullness of that adoption. You see, we're already his kids. But we're, we're his kids that live in a place that is not our home. Amen? This world isn't our home. We have a heavenly home. Uh, in fact, we will have a heavenly dwelling place that Scripture says is not made with hands, but is in the heavens. Amen? So we're waiting for the fullness of that. And the redemption of our body. You see, one day you're going to get a new body. Anybody looking forward to that? I, I've got a knee that was helped out by Petra Jordan. And, and that knee now is, is telling me, Thank you for walking down through the, the canyon there at Petra, and I'm going to hurt you now for the rest of your life. Yeah, we, we're waiting for the redemption of our body. One day we're going to have a body that's just like Jesus' body, but right now this one's groaning. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. You see, if you already have something, then you can't have hope. Amen? Do you understand the principle there? If you can actually see it, then no hope is necessary, is is the point. If I'm hoping to have that guitar, I don't have to hope much. I just need to go pick it up. There's no hope involved in that. It's on the stage. I can go get it. But if I'm hoping for something that's not here, then I can actually have hope that that thing is going to be. And that hope, then, is real. Otherwise, you're just looking at something and saying, well, I'd like to have that. So he's expressing something that is eternal because our hope is eternal in the heavens. Amen? These things are not here on this earth. These are things that we are waiting for that are going to come our way that are already promised to us because they've been secured through our relationship with Jesus Christ. But we have not yet fully received them. We are waiting in hope for those things. For we're saved in this hope, but this hope that is seen is not hope. For why does someone still hope for what he sees? In other words, if I already have it, then I no longer need to hope. But I don't already have it. This is a mortal body. My mind is still a computer that's made out of human cells, very much part of my old nature at times, capable of thinking things that we shouldn't think, capable of doing things we shouldn't do. It's the whole argument back from chapter 7, amen? Those things which I will not to do, those very things I do, the Apostle Paul said. And anybody that's honest will tell you that as a believer, they still at times struggle against their flesh, against the world, against the temptations that Satan may throw your way, that's all part of what we hope one day, which we already know we will receive, is going to be fixed permanently. Amen? 
I'm waiting for that day when all of my earthly travail is over and I can go home in fullness of righteousness. I have the Holy Spirit in me right now to help me withstand the pressures of living here on this earth. But I'm resting in that hope that one day this earthly life will be over. And it's not a morbid thought process. It's a realization that heaven is better than earth. Amen? So when people say, well, you know, you're just thinking about things that no one can actually know. Well, yeah, I can know. Because the same Bible that says I'm saved by grace and through faith says that one day I'm going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so I rest in the same hope that saves me for that future glorification that's coming my way, your way. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Anybody in here have a weakness? Some of you need to recognize that you have put two arms, throw a leg out there, just stand up and shout. Yeah, we have some human weaknesses, don't we? Maybe you just, you know, you're, you're one of those people that, like me, you get on the freeway and all of a sudden that accelerator just seems to go to the floor. It's in Jesus' name, be healed, I see that hand. Now, we have human weaknesses, don't we? Anybody in here get impatient at times? Uh, that's a weakness. Ah, yes, he's a... Praise God, brothers and sisters. Yeah, we have human weaknesses, don't we? Now, in acknowledging those weaknesses, it's not like we want those weaknesses to be our identity. Amen? I hope not, anyway. So, so the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So the Spirit's there to go, you know, Jeff, you might slow down a little bit. You know, maybe be a little more patient with that person. Do you understand what I'm saying? You still have those weaknesses. Now, praise God, you used to submit to those weaknesses instantaneously before you met Jesus. Now you have the Holy Spirit helping you to resist the temptation to follow after those weaknesses. And so now those weaknesses do not identify you. They are simply weaknesses before they used to actually be your identity. You were a drug addict. You were an alcoholic. You had relationships you shouldn't be into. And you really could not, in a sense... Help yourself because you had no spirit in you, so you just did what comes naturally to you, which is to please your flesh. But now, because of the spirit, you have the capacity to resist, and those weaknesses actually show themselves for what they are. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, there are things in our lives that we cannot see coming. And even if we did, because of those human weaknesses, we might not pray correctly for. I can tell you I've prayed for things, and I'm glad God did not answer my prayer as I asked him. I've prayed some lame prayers in my life. I've asked God to give me things that now looking back I shouldn't have had. I've asked God to restore things that he did the right thing in taking them away. I have asked God to, you know, would you bless me with this? Would you do that? Would you take care of this? Would you take care of that? You know what I found out? God was right and I was wrong. Amen? 
here's what happens. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what to ask for. And so the Holy Spirit, while you're busy praying for the wrong thing, guess what the Holy Spirit's doing? Praying for you for the right thing. And guess who wins? The Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is earnestly groaning, going, you know what, Jeff doesn't really need that. So, Father God, would you please not answer that prayer affirmatively? Because if he gets that, it's not going to be good. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, we don't even know what we ought to pray for. Let me give you a little couple of reasons why. You're not God. Does that shock anybody? Did I, like, level anybody? You know, did you, oh, really? But sometimes we pray like we are, like we have all knowledge. We don't have all knowledge, do we? We don't know what tomorrow holds, but you know what God does? We don't know how that person's character is going to pan out over a period of time. Probably everyone in here ought to be thankful for the people that you're not married to currently that God prevented you from marrying, right? Why? Because God knew exactly who that person was, and you're over there, oh Lord, he's so cute. And God does, but he's such a jerk. And so God does exactly what God wants to do, and he says, well, I'm not going to give you what you've asked for. And the Holy Spirit is just going, oh, Jeff, 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 Jeff. You don't even know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit does. And so God does, in essence, some of that praying for you through the intercession of the Holy Spirit. And now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. You see, you don't even know your own heart because your heart is deceitful and it's desperately wicked and who can know it? There are times when our hearts deceive us, amen? Anybody ever had an emotional response only to find out later that that emotional response wasn't exactly the response that you should have had? You ever been driven by your emotion? Have you ever been driven, in essence, by a circumstance? In other words, there's a couple of ways that you can go, but the superior circumstance kind of forced you into the situation that you thought was the best way to go. Can I tell you the Holy Spirit doesn't need circumstance and the Holy Spirit doesn't need emotion? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit knows absolutely everything at all times and will not mislead you. That's why it's so important that we pray that the Holy Spirit would be in the midst of our prayer life. Because sometimes... We just kind of do our best, and there's nothing inherently wrong with you offering up what you know to God. But you have to also leave the door open for the Holy Spirit to intervene and say, God, maybe you don't want to heal me of that thing. Now people are going, what? You mean I shouldn't pray for healing? Yes, pray for healing, but leave the door open for God to do exactly what God wants to do. Can I give you an example? The Apostle Paul How many times did the Apostle Paul grumble with God? Three. He's praying, take the thorn away. Take the thorn away. I'm sick of the thorn. Take the thorn away. Did God take the thorn away? Did Paul have enough faith? He sure did. So the Holy Spirit knew something that the Apostle Paul didn't. 
So the Apostle Paul is actually praying a prayer that the Holy Spirit had no intention of answering. And we actually get a little reason why. Lest he be lifted up. Because he, he had seen a little glimpse of heaven. Can you, can you imagine if Paul had not been buffeted in such a way? I, I don't know about you, but if I had a business card that said, I've been to heaven on it, it's going to, you know, could get you a little bit lifted up. Amen? So the Spirit makes intercession. It searches my heart, knows the mind of what God wants. Because he makes intercession for the saints, notice this, according to the will of God. Sometimes I don't know what the will of God is. I'll give you a little insight into the operation of the church. We have a wonderful board, godly men, elders that are on that board, men that have been here at this church for a very long time, who love the Lord, uh, many of them pastors, all of them long-time uh, members of the body here, truly elders in the biblical sense of the word. But in order that we might know the mind of God, we have to actually ask God what that is. Because there are lots of ideas. And so we'll bring something up as a matter of discussion. And then our plan is, let's pray on it for a month and see what the Holy Spirit tells us. And you know what's crazy? is there might be one or two dissenting ideas, or maybe there's someone who has something, maybe the church should engage in that. Maybe we should do this ministry outreach. Maybe we should do this or that. And here's the cool thing about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can convict and convince. And so in the time of prayer, we're saying, God, nevertheless, not my will, not our will, but your will be done. And you know what's happened 100% of the time? We've had unanimous votes. On everything. And here's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes along, takes those things of which we might disagree, and now implants the truth in the mind of the person who doesn't quite see it that way because we've prayed for the will of God and only the will of God to be done. You see, the Spirit's groaning for us to not have to worry about that anymore. That we would just be able to converse with God Exactly as Adam originally could. Can you imagine what Adam gave up? Think about it. Right now, we go to God the Father through Christ the Son. Amen? That's how we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? You put your address stamp on there in Jesus' name. Adam used to be able to say, What would you like me to do, God? One day you're going to actually begin to be able to do that again when you're in the glories of heaven. You're going to be able to talk to God personally. Right now, you still have a body of flesh that hears things from the world, understands things with the flesh, gets influenced by the devil, and so consequently you don't have a perfect prayer life. You need the intercession of the Holy Spirit. As do I. So this passage begins to unfold before us. You see, here's what's happened. Because we have the first fruits of the Spirit, which we see here in the very first verse that we've looked at tonight, we're spiritually sensitized to the corruptness of our flesh. Did you ever notice before you met Jesus, you were kind of cool with sin? You kind of didn't care all that much about it, right? 
Matter of fact, I've had people tell me, you know, I'm actually more miserable as a Christian than I was as a non-believer. And, and they're trying to make a point. The point is, now that you know the Lord, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, so you actually know stuff is wrong. In other words, you have a built-in sin-o-meter. So you're doing stuff, and it's like, eh. The Holy Spirit's going, you need to just get away from there. That's what happens. You now have a sensitivity to the things that God hates. And this is a beautiful part of why we groan a little bit. Because we still fight with that sensitivity at times. We'd like to be a little bit greedy. I kind of feel justified in my anger right now. You know what? I have every right to be bitter and unforgiving. If you'd had happened to me what has happened to me, you'd be bitter too. You'd join my bitterness club. You see, we have a sensitivity to the sin, but we're not totally free from still sinning. We can still do it if we choose to. You can make a choice to do exactly the opposite of what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. And here's the news for you. Every once in a while, probably everyone in here does. You know it's wrong. You know what God's Word says. And the reason I know this is I've had jillions of people sit in my office. I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not going to do that because my husband's a jerk. <laughs> you know, you just don't know my wife. You know, look at me like, you know, like I'm supposed to agree with them. I'm going, but the Bible says. And they go, I, don't, I know it says that. I'm going, so what are we talking about here? Well, I just don't feel like doing it. And I go, well, you just have a problem with God. Sometimes we have problems with God, don't we? Do you ever have problems with God? If you don't, then you might be Messiah. So every once in a while, I think we all have problems with God. We don't like what God's Word says. There are verses in the Bible, I'm like, I'm not doing that. I know it says I'm supposed to be kind to people who mistreat me, but I'm not feeling like being kind right now. Thank you very much, God. I know you guys wouldn't do that. But I'm trying to illustrate a point for you. I think every person on this planet that is a believer struggles at times with exactly what God's Word says. We know what it says, and we even know why it says it, but it grates against that remnant of our flesh. Amen? And so you're going, ah. So what happens? You groan a little bit. Like, oh, not again. You ever do that over something in your life that you've actually had victory over? And maybe it surfaces. Maybe you were an angry person. Maybe you, you know, some of us guys, you know, we look back on our past and I mean, we just were angry people and you know, our natural response was, we don't like you, we punch you in the face. And, and you know, maybe you get into that conversation with somebody and your flesh kind of wells up and all of a sudden you find there in the back of your mind, it's like, just hit them in the face. I can see some of you are struggling with this. You're like, your heads are down, you're like, oh, talking straight to you. No, I'm, I'm talking about all of us. We all have things. I'm using it as an example. And, and maybe you don't do it, but you want to. 
And so you kind of groan a little. It's like, oh, Lord, I can't believe I still think that way. I'm so sorry. I know I shouldn't feel that way, but I, I do. And I'm sorry. You see, that's actually proof that you are a child of God. That, that's God going, that's a good thing. There's conviction in your life. And so you groan a little bit as the Spirit's working in you and to you and through you. I think if we're honest, we, we recognize exactly as Paul would write to the church at Corinth that, that they're in the, in the second letter in the fifth chapter. He says, for indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan being burdened. Because we don't want to be unclothed. In other words, I can't get rid of my body. It's where, my whole, it's where the Holy Spirit resides. It's where my soul is, right? I, I can't be unclothed in that sense. I'm stuck with this one. God only gives you one. You don't get to switch. Because if we could switch, we probably would, many of us. But to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. You know, one day you're going to give your tent back. It's going to stay here, and you're going to be gone. And then one day there's going to be a glorious resurrection. But as long as we're in this tent of our human body, we we have a little bit of remnant corruption that still hangs around with us. We work hard at putting it off. We work hard at saying no to those sinful behaviors and those sinful thoughts. But every once in a while, it's like, ah. We hate sin, but it still kind of hangs around at times. You see, here's the good news. Your salvation is not determined by how sinless you are. Do you understand what I just said? And praise God for what I just said. Your salvation hangs on the righteousness of Christ, not your own individual sinlessness. Because if it hung on your sinlessness, we're all perishing eternally. Because just the pride alone of thinking that you were good enough to meet God's standard would be enough to say you're not going to make it. So praise God that that little remnant of our sinful nature is dealt with by the grace of God and not by the righteousness that he demands. The righteousness he demands, he's given you as a gift through Jesus Christ. And so you just walk in it. You rest in it. But sometimes you still struggle with receiving it. Anybody in here have a tough time receiving gifts? I do. I like to give them. But when somebody tries to give me something, I just like, oh, man. You know why that is? This is going to sting. It's pride. Generally speaking, it's pride. We like to think that we earn things. We like to think that somehow we're worth it and whatever we need, we can get ourselves. It's a little bit of pride. We have to have the grace gift. That's the only way anybody sees heaven. And so the Holy Spirit, I think, even allows at times our lives to be touched by our weaknesses, just as it says here, to remind us that we still need God's grace. And to remind us that we need to be bearers of that same grace to other people. And that the mercy that God gives us, we need to give. Blessed is the merciful for he or she shall see the kingdom of God. Right? 
You see, we need those things. They're not optional for us. We must be children of grace. We must be children of mercy. We must recognize that we can't do that on our own. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation because you never earned it or deserved it in the first place. Amen? You just need to worry about sensitivity to sin. And as long as you have sensitivity to sin, you are good. That's the Holy Spirit going, you're still listening. You got it. God put that Holy Spirit in you to that end. It's one of the things when sometimes when people are struggling, they'll come and say, I just don't have total victory over these things. And I will usually simplify it to one thing. Do you care that you're not perfect? Do you care about that sin? Does it bother you? Because if your sin bothers you, you're okay. Not saying the sin's good. I'm not saying the sin's okay with God. I'm saying the fact that you care is a sign that the Holy Spirit is in you. Because otherwise you wouldn't care. You just wander around in your sin, do whatever you want. That's the way you were before you met Jesus. That's why you were okay with the party lifestyle. It's why you were okay in that relationship. It's why you were okay doing drugs. It's why you were okay stealing. That's why you were okay doing everything that was contrary to the Word of God. You were okay because you didn't have the Holy Spirit in you. And so there was no conviction that it was even wrong. If you're walking around, well, feels good, I'll do it. If it suits me, great. But once you became a believer, all of a sudden, God puts his signet ring on your life And he stamps the impression of Christ on you by grace. And now you're one of God's kids. And when those things come up, you're, man, I'm not like the king's kid right now. I'm acting like the old me and it bugs us. Makes us very unhappy. And you groan a little bit. It's the proof that God's stamp is on you. You see, one of the things that happened during Jesus' crucifixion, remember the, t- the tomb was actually sealed. And one of the ways during that time that something was sealed is the king or the governor would wear a signet ring. That signet ring would have his impression on it. And he usually used two types of things. One was wax and the other one was clay. And they'd form what's called a bulla. A bulla is basically just a blob of wax or a blob of clay. And if you were going to seal something like a tomb, you would take a blob of clay and put it on the tomb wall. And you put another blob of clay on the tomb door. And then you would stretch a cord between the two, put the cord inside the clay, and then you'd take the ring and impress it into both pieces of clay, which means that this has been sealed by the king. And if either one of these two bulla is broken then you know that the seal is not intact. God, in a very similar way, has sealed you by the Holy Spirit. And as long as the conviction of the Holy Spirit is intact, you belong to God. That's why the rejection of the Holy Spirit is the only unpardonable sin. Because you no longer have righteousness and sin able to be differentiated between and so to reject the work of the holy spirit which is the finished work of the cross applied to your life 
you're breaking the seal or you haven't received the seal at all. And so here he's really saying, look, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're one of God's kids. Rest in it. One of the things that we see in this passage, and though we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, Daniel was an example of that, but in an infinitely more significant way as the Holy Spirit seals each one of us, we, we now actually bear the mark of Christ. That's hard for us to believe because there's a problem. There, there's an issue because we are holy seeds in an unholy shell. Amen? You, you, you see, you and I as believers are absolutely justified by Christ through the salvation that we've received in grace. So we're totally holy in that regard. If you were to die right now, you would go immediately into the presence of God. No change necessary, because that change was made for you when you said yes to the gospel. You became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, old things are passing away. In other words, you're not fully out of the shell yet. Any of you like nuts? Back in the day, back in the 60s, where you know you didn't normally get, at Christmas time especially, you got those bags of mixed nuts, but they were still in the shell. And I liked Brazil nuts. Brazil nuts, though, you, you have to crack them with a sledgehammer. And once you crack them with a sledgehammer, any of you remember those little picks, those metal picks, where you'd have to dig the nut out of there? Well, the nut was good. It's inside of the shell, and you'd smash the shell. But the shell, you you can't eat a Brazil nut shell. And the same is true with your life. You kind of have this hard exterior shell that's the old you. It's your flesh. And inside of it is this new tablet, this new heart that's been regenerated by God that's holy because the Holy Spirit's made you that way. But it rests in a shell that still has to be dealt with. And that shell is unholy at times. It doesn't do the right thing all the time. It has the capacity to because you have the Holy Spirit in you. But you still wrestle a little bit. And so in this picture, we're incarcerated, if you will, in in a prison that's made out of our flesh. But one day we're going to be fully set free. We're going to go home to be with Jesus. Amen? I can't wait for that day. So God's going to get the rest of my Brazil nut out somehow, you know, like free me up, get me out of there. But right now we're kind of stuck inside. We have to deal with that flesh. We love God. We hate sin. We, we have holy longings. We have obedience to the word, but we still don't do any of that perfectly. Amen. Oh, there are days I just, anybody ever do this? You're just walking, you're just loving God. You're like, you know, then something happens. It's like, oh, I hate you. I don't even know why God made you. We have thoughts that shouldn't be in there, right? And then you kind of shake your head and you're like, why did I think that? That's one of God's kids. And you pray, like, Lord, I'm sorry. You see, we have a holy seed inside of an unholy shell. And every once in a while, people see the shell and not the holy seed. Sin has its consequences, folks. We're quite capable of living 
and hear me well, we are quite capable by the Holy Spirit's power of living perfectly sinless lives. That's a fact. But most of us fall short of that objective. Amen? That is the objective. That is what we want to do, and that is what we should be aiming at. But we do at times fall short. That's where the Holy Spirit says, "Mm, mm, 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 mm." that's not the way you're supposed to be conducting yourself. And so we groan. That's why Paul made that argument there in Romans 7. On one hand, with my mind, I find myself serving the law of God. On the other hand, my flesh, the law of sin. I, if I think it through, if I allow the Holy Spirit to, to affect my mind, I think it, think it correctly. But I, I have to fight my flesh to get it done. Our souls, right now, tonight, if you're here and you are a child of God, your soul is fully redeemed and fit for heaven. Isn't that amazing? But the rest of you, not so much. Your soul is, could go right now because of the grace of God. That's the power of the grace of God. But your flesh is weak. And so while you're here, you still have some work to do. We still have some work to do. I have some work to do. The church has some work to do. That's why Paul would write to the church at Philippi. You remember how he begins chapter 3? He starts out with this argument, and by the time you get to the end of the chapter, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. You know why he said that? Because your citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. You're like a displaced person right now. You're actually a citizen of heaven. That's your real home. But right now you're, you're kind of dwelling in a displaced person's camp. Just like you'd been kicked out of some Middle Eastern community that you used to live in. And you're now in Jordan living in one of those massive displaced person's camp. That's exactly how you are here on this earth. You're supposed to be in heaven, but you're living here on this earth. But as a child of God, you're ready to go home at any moment. Praise God. That's why we look forward to the rapture of the church. We're ready to go. Grace has stamped you. You're good to go. Should the Lord call you home, you're ready. Our citizenship is there. You know, we don't know what we're going to look at. People always ask, they'll, you know, well, what's, you know, what are we going to look like when we get to heaven? I mess with them and I say, well, you know, I think we're all going to wear Speedos. <laughs> and they're like, and they, they're, really? <laughs> no. The Bible doesn't tell us what we're going to look like when we get there. And I think it's a good thing. It makes us long. It makes us long for heaven. Paul actually addresses that in 1 Corinthians 15. How are the dead raised? What kind of body will you have? He actually calls us fools. He, says, he uses the term rock. He says, fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Then he goes on to use this picture of a seed. Have you ever looked at seeds? They don't look anything like the plant that they turn into, do they? Yeah, go to, go to Home Depot and go to the garden department and get a sack of seeds. Dump those things out on the table. And you, If I spread them all over the table, get 10 packs. They're not much. They're like a buck. Spread them all over the table, and then you try and pick out which one of those is going to turn into the, the, you know, the geranium or whatever. You won't be able to do it. In the very same way, your body is a holy seed in an unholy shell, 
And the outside is not going to look like it does when you grow into what you're going to be when you get to heaven. Because you're sown in corruption here, and you're going to be incorruptible there. So right now, you look like a seed. But when you get there, you're going to be a glorious orchid. You're going to be an amazing creation of God. We don't know exactly what, we do know a little bit. We're going to be like Jesus when we get there. So whatever he looks like, and not in an exact way, but in a typology. In other words, we're going to be like him. We're going to have heavenly bodies. Each one there in 1 Corinthians 15 says, the glory of itself. In other words, you're, you're going to be you and yet be like him. That's a crazy thought. You're going to still have the individuality that you have here, but you're going to be glorified like God. I can't wait, because I've worn this tent out. I beat it up. My seed is cracked. (laughs) Amen? We're going to be like our Lord Jesus. You know, it's kind of interesting when you look at his resurrection, his ascension. Uh, there in John 20, we know that Jesus' body actually still bore the physical marks of the crucifixion. He was actually able to eat. He still looked like himself, and yet his closest disciples didn't recognize him. So we're not sure. I, I love the picture. We actually studied it we were, when we were in, in the area of Jerusalem. We went to, the, we went to Emmaus. I remember Jesus comes walking up. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. They're talking about what happened and asking him a question. He says, don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus is walking with them. They don't even know it's him. Are you the only people in Jerusalem that didn't know what happened? So one day, your body is going to get transformed into something amazing. Right now, the Holy Spirit is in there at work. Taking sure, making sure that seed is ready to go at any time. Now we have amazing hope in that because our hope is not based on wishful thinking. You know, sometimes when people hope, they're, they're actually hoping in hope. You ever met people like that? It's like they're hoping in hope and not actually hoping in something. You see, for you to hope in something that's not real is kind of silly, actually. But for you to hope in what's been promised to you, that's the right kind of hope. You've been promised eternal life. You've been promised a new body. You've been promised to be fully redeemed. You have been promised to be like Christ. When you get, you've been promised to be glorified. You have been promised endlessly what things are going to be like that you're right now hoping to see one day. Because we don't have it yet. That's why he uses this analogy. Look, it's not hope if you can see it. We can't see it yet, but we've been promised it, and so therefore our hope is the right kind of hope. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not like you're sitting around, well, you know, I hope I win the lottery. Please don't hope you win the lottery. I'll give you a secret. If you don't play, you can't lose. You see, that's the wrong kind of hope. That's wishful thinking. But our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Amen? So that's a real kind of hope. 
Because he said, I will not lose anything that's been committed to me. He said, where I am, you will be also. So our hope is not, it might happen. Our hope is it's going to happen. We just don't know when. Amen? Very different kind of hope. Because if you hope something and you don't know it's going to happen, then you have kind of false hope. But when you've been promised something and it hasn't come yet, you have the right kind of hope. And that's what we have in Christ Jesus. We're in his hands. And brothers and sisters, he doesn't drop any balls. He can juggle the whole universe and he's not gonna, nothing's going to hit the ground. So all that he needs to accomplish, that's why Paul, is, is he wrote there in the first chapter of Philippians, he, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? You see, that's a faithful God doing what he said he would do. And he will always do that. So your hope is based in what he has promised you, not in something you're wishing for. You just haven't gotten there yet. So rest in it. Don't let the enemy knock you around and tell you differently. Right now, the Holy Spirit's groaning along with us in the same way, verse 26 says. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's, it groans, with the Holy Spirit groans with creation. The Holy Spirit groans with you as a believer. The Holy Spirit's groaning. It's like, oh, it's not here yet. We haven't heard the trumpet yet. But we're going to hear the trumpet. So the Holy Spirit's groaning along with us. Going like, what? It's going to happen. We just, it's not happened yet. That redemption that's already at work in you. That life that you now live because of who you are in Christ Jesus. Though it's not fully done, it will be accomplished. Fully and completely. And so while you're kind of agonizing through fighting your flesh, the Holy Spirit's groaning right along with you. Go on, Jeff, I know you're struggling. I know I'd love to take it from you, but I can't. You've got to live your life. You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Jeff, while you're in that mortal body of flesh, you're going to struggle with these things. You're going to have stuff that's going to go on. You're not going to like it. You're going to hate it, and you're going to struggle with it. And I'm groaning with you. Matter of fact, better than that, the Holy Spirit's actually interceding for you. And man, Jeff's struggling. Just doubt. Maybe faith. Maybe you struggle with faith. You see, because struggling with faith, at the end of struggling with faith, you kind of have to come to the conclusion that the lack of faith is a lack of trust. At some level, it becomes a lack of trust that God is going to be faithful. I think most Christians, if they're honest, will say, yeah, at times I've struggled with faith. I've struggled with walking. You know, maybe you're here tonight and that's you. You're you're struggling with your faith. Oh, you believe. You've accepted God's grace. But the faith to walk day by day and to trust the Lord and not lean on your own understanding and in all of your ways acknowledge Him and He's actually going to guide and direct my path just exactly as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. Oh, I don't know if I can go that far. 
Sometimes people think I, I'm a, you know, I, I somehow am a replacement for you having to have faith. And maybe if I pray with you, somehow you won't have to. No, you're going to have to pray. And you're going to have to rest, and you're going to have to trust. I can't do that for you. There are times I wish I could. I really do. Sometimes I see people struggling. I just, it's like, Lord, could I somehow have a word for them to where you could take this from? But God does things in our lives that we don't expect, don't understand at times. You start to get tested physically. God, you mean you, you actually allowed me to have this cancer? Well, if you've been praying for God to take it and he's left you with it, chances are he's left you with it. There's something you need to learn in it. That crucible, that trial that you're going through. Maybe you lost your job. And you're tempted to think that God doesn't love you. But maybe he actually supremely is showing his love in that you lost that job because he knows what's right around the corner. Maybe it's going to destroy your marriage. Maybe it's going to tear apart your your trust in the Lord. Maybe you're going to become so prosperous that you're going to forget God. And so God takes something from you that you think is good. You've got to trust that the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to groan for you. What you need and when you need it. The weakness that we have is not a weakness on his part. Amen? Your weakness is not God's weakness. It's your weakness. It's not like God fell off the throne or he can't do it. It's that he sees things you don't. He understands things that you never will. That's why Isaiah said, look, my ways are not your ways, God. And your ways are so far above my ways that I actually can't know them. Not while I'm here in this body of flesh, anyway. And so you're going to go through things that you won't know. You won't know why you went through them. You're not going to be able to get that answer while you're still here. But when you get there, you're going to go, God, you were right. You knew all along, didn't you? And he's just going to go, yep. I knew what you needed, Jeff. I, there are things that have happened in Connie and I's life. I look back on them. And when they happened, I was tempted to think, God, did you forget that we're still here? You're laying on a hospital floor next to your son that you didn't think you were supposed to have, and you're begging God not to take his life. You're kind of wondering what God's doing. Lord, don't let my son die please. But when he doesn't answer that prayer the first day or the second day or the third day, and then he has seizures for the better part of two years, and every day you hope it's not the day that you wake up and he's gone, you kind of sometimes wonder, you know, God, did I do something wrong? Are you punishing me? And all the while, God's doing something amazing in your life to transform and change you and give you compassion and tenderness to implant mercy into your life that you never have ever had in your entire life. And you look back on it and go, oh, the Holy Spirit knew exactly what to pray for me and prayed for me for that, and the Lord delivered. 
trust him, family. When the Holy Spirit's groaning for you, he's not going to groan incorrectly. Quite able and, and to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. Amen? Jesus was talking to Peter. He said, Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat there in Luke 22. But I have prayed for you. And it's interesting what he says. Not against Satan so that he can't touch you. But I have prayed that you might have more faith. That's Jesus for Peter. And that truth still stands for us. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. Working in your life whether you see it or not. And I, I want to just encourage you that your eternal life that you experience, this <laughs> might shock some of you, it's actually eternal. It, it can't be taken from you. You can't be snatched out of your Father's hands. Having faith in the Lord and having eternal life are scripturally synonymous. They're, they're one and the same. And eternal life is something that you have already, and it's something that you will fully possess later. So both are true. You're going to have eternal life, but you're going to have that eternal life also eternally. You have eternal life right now. If you were to die, you'd go to the presence of the Lord. But you're also going to have that eternal life forever. So no matter how long eternity is, you're going to have eternal life the whole time. Praise God. And that's not because you're good. It's because he's good. It's because he loves us. While we're here, brothers and sisters, there's going to be a little bit of groaning. Creation's going to groan. You're going to groan. The Spirit's going to groan. But then there's going to be glory. Amen? And once we step out of time and into eternity... That eternal life is going to overshadow everything that you have ever gone through. I don't know how many of you, and I'll end with this, I don't know how many of you have ever bought something that you later found out was like a really bad decision. Anybody ever done that? You bought something that's like, why did I buy this stupid thing? Why did I pay the price for that? Kanye, I bought a Pontiac Fiera when they were brand new. (laughs) Just saying, that's up there on the list of bad things to buy. Looked cool. Not a good idea. You're not ever going to feel that way about your eternal life. And here's why. You never bought it. Jesus bought it for you. And he gave it to you as a gift. Hallelujah. He, he, he died on Calvary's cross to purchase eternal life for you and then turns around and gives it to you as a gift. So when you step out of time and into eternity, you have his promise. You, you don't have your works to rely on. Praise the Lord. You, you see, you actually made the best trade you could ever made because you traded the old you 
for a very new you. And it was the best decision you could ever make. And you'll never regret it. That's why eternal life is eternal. It didn't come from you. It came from him. And because it came from him, you don't even have the capacity to change it because he's the one that did it. So if you've received it as a gift, you're good for all eternity. Amen? Would you stand? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the work of the Spirit in our lives. And, and Lord, we admit at times uh, we do groan. Lord, we can't wait to be freed up from these mortal bodies and, and released into the fullness of eternal life in heaven. But we know you've left us here for a purpose. And you have plans to use us. To preach the gospel, to make disciples of all men. Lord, to bring you glory and honor and praise. And so we pray that while we're waiting and groaning a little bit, while we groan with creation and with you, Holy Spirit, that you cause us to also find joy and peace. A sense of wonder that you could use people like us. Pray that you would bless us, watch over us, and keep us. Lord, now I want to pray if there's anyone here tonight that does not know you. Lord, that right now in this quiet moment, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, that they would simply offer up a prayer to you and invite you, Jesus, to be their Savior and Lord, recognizing their own sinfulness and that you're the only way for that sin to be taken care of. And so, God, we thank you for loving us. We pray that you would bless us that you'd use us. We ask all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.